Actions, Responses to Trafficking, the podcast that shines a spotlight on new and established trafficking responses in the UK and beyond. Welcome back to Actions, the Responses to Trafficking podcast. Today, I'm joined by Rachel King, the CEO of the organisation, the Strong Tower Foundation, which supports survivors of human trafficking and works to build awareness. The Strong Tower Foundation is opening a home and programme of support for survivors of trafficking. They've based this on their research into the gaps and the shortfalls of the support currently available for survivors and have tailored their service to fill those needs. So this will be a really timely conversation about their organization and the support that they are going to be offering. Hi Rachel, great to meet you. Hi, lovely to meet you too. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm really glad we managed to have this conversation. I know it's been a few months that we've been in touch trying to coordinate this. Yeah, Um, good to be here. Absolutely. Could you perhaps start with a little introduction to you? What's your background and what led you to this role? Sure. So um, I'll give you a little, a little um, journey of my, um, a little taster of my journey, I should say. So, yes, um, please. My background is actually um, in law. Um, I was always very interested in the legal sector and in um, legislation, in particular, actually. So I studied law and minored in politics. Um, and as I was studying. Um, one of the one of the things that kept coming out when I was doing my studies is that a lot of people were more interested in sort of the corporate side. Um, but actually, when I was being interviewed um, and speaking to different law firms and things, and they asked, "Okay, what is it that you like about law?" I, I kept, you know, I was really focused on my why, and I kept saying, "Look, I think I actually just want to help people." Um, and they said, "Oh, that's actually, you know, it's quite different from what a lot of other people." Um, <laughs> when they're, you know, trying to get into the law firm. Um, and that's fine, but for me, that was my why. I actually genuinely wanted to help people. Um, and so as I as I continued in my studies, um, I did a course in human rights. And that was the first time I studied politics at university at uh, A-level. And so I understood, you know, a little bit about um, what the UK does. But that was the first time I saw international human rights on a wider scale and things that were happening in legislation and um, real ways that human rights impacted people outside of the sphere that we see in the UK. Um, And that really fascinated me. So I went on um, to study that um, at a higher education level. Um, And I really enjoyed that because, for instance, one one of the first pieces of coursework I did actually touched on modern slavery. And that was about uh, respect children in Haiti. And what, you know, what actually happens is um, people that can't afford to look after their children, they'll sell them to a more wealthy family as domestic servitude um, individuals. But looking at that from a student's perspective, I, I looked at modern slavery and I looked at um, these respect children, and I said, I don't see any difference. And so for them, that was a cultural thing. But actually, from an international standpoint, it was recognized that this is actually a practice that's problematic for those reasons, that those children are actually in a form of modern slavery. And that's the first time I, that I've come across something like that. Um, and so after I'd finished my course there, 
um, that was really the first taste that I had of, um, of modern slavery in any form. Um, one of my mentors actually said to me, okay, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I, I want to practice human rights. And I said, okay, what, what kinds of human rights initiatives have you gotten involved with? Um, and I went, hmm, I haven't really done any yet. It's all, it's all been scary. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and yeah, shout out to him because he, he really put me on a path of, okay, you're interested in this, but is your interest and is your passion backed up by what you're doing and what, what, you're, what you're doing in your everyday life? And mm. even if it's not your career, if that's something that you're interested in, how does that manifest? And so he said, okay, look into ways that you can demonstrate your interest in that area. You know, become a trustee or start volunteering in an organization. Um, yeah. And so I live in South London. And I got involved in a charity called Croydon Community Against Trafficking, which was a very grassroots organization that had been running for about 10 years. Um, but they were really about spreading awareness of things that were happening in the borough. And at the time, Croydon was just below um, you know, Westminster, which is the, the capital capital. But it was almost um, central because we had the home office as well. There was a huge amount of um, trafficking going on in the borough of Croydon that the residents had no idea about. Um, and so that's what they'd been working towards. And so I loved that. I really believed that, um, you know, it starts in your home. And so I thought, okay, this is an organization I want to start working with. So I spoke with the trustees um, and I talked to them about some of the things I was interested in, um, my education, but not just my education, I um, so I had a, a church background where I was used to running events or being a youth leader. And so they thought that was really interesting. They said, you know what, we actually have a really big need for somebody to help us with our campaigns and really spreading and doing events and, and that kind of thing. I said, oh, okay, I haven't done it in that way before, but let me give it a go. Um, turned out I was really good at it. I really enjoyed it. Um, so many transferable skills few, right that we often overlook exactly. transferability of our skills exactly. and that was really the takeaway for me that we sometimes think of ways that we can help and we don't realize the skills that we have and so that really pushed me to think about how I could use the skills I had in a transferable way um, and I became the campaign coordinator for that organization for a few years um, and that was all voluntary while I was still working in, in um, a law firm. But I loved it more than my job, if I'm honest. Um, and so at some point I said, you know what, I actually, I, I prefer to focus on this in a way to impact people through practical ways. Um, and I was still very much interested in legislation, going to select committees and things like that, and seeing ways that, that the charity sector could um, could impact but I became more focused on that through my experiences through the different ways that I was practically um, getting involved in something I said that I was interested in um, so the next thing I did was become director for a charity um, but at the same time I continued to volunteer within trafficking um, and uh, I think I mentioned to you before the call that the reason we started this project 
is because um, of the conversations I was having within the sector. Um, and that's another, that's another really important thing that people talk about the experiences that they've had and the things that they've heard and ways to connect within the sector because there are so many different things going on um, with modern slavery and human trafficking that people can get involved in. But one of the managers at the um, Croydon Community uh, Charity, she previously worked in the Salvation Army. And so because she and I worked so closely, she gave me quite a lot of in-depth information about what was happening within the national referral mechanism and what happened post-NRM um, or pre-NRM or even during NRM. And she really gave me an, a, a complete oversight of the process. And she said one of the reasons she left was it was, um, she found it a little bit frustrating that some of the ways that people could help um, the legislation and the planning just wasn't quite there. Um, and I found that quite interesting. And as I worked with her, I, I remember there was one um, instance, I, I had an event um, and it was a, a showing of, of a, a series of films. And then we would show each film and discuss, you know, what happened in this film and that kind of thing. We had a big, big panel discussion afterwards, which I hosted. Um, and I'll never forget me being um, passionate about the law. I said, so I, I started this um, volunteering in 2015. So it was a very exciting time. That's when we got the Modern Slavery Act, right? So I said, isn't it great? You know, we've got this, this um, legislation now and um, we're ahead of the curve and we're, and we're tackling these things in, in the court. And the whole room went. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Rained on your parade. <laughs> and I was co-hosting it with, um, with that manager. Um, and she, because of her experience, she knew exactly what they were talking about. So she was saying, okay, it's great that we've got this legislation, but actually it focuses um, so much on prosecution that a lot of the gaps are found in the support system. And then you get this cycle of re-trafficking or people getting stuck in the system. And it's really, really difficult for people that are coming out of that. Um, and it's quite frustrating to see if you work in that sector because you really want to help, but there are just so many gaps and the government's doing a lot, but the gaps are still there. Um, and and uh, what, what I really took away from that was, okay, well, it is great that we, <laughs> we have this legislation. And I don't fault the police in that because, you know, if you think about anything, drug trafficking, the way you stop it is you cut off the head, right? So if they want to really focus on ending modern slavery in our lifetime, they have to go for the top. They have to cut off the head of these traffickers, um, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, <laughs> um, just <laughs> wanted to clarify that. <laughs> but cutting off the heads of, of the big gangs and the people that are actually perpetrating these crimes. Yeah. But then you also yeah. have to think about, okay, how do we then help people that have come through the system? And that's something that's been very slow um, within the last few years. So that's what, what really made me look at, okay, these are the gaps that I'm hearing about. Um, this is the experience that I've had, the, the passions that I have. Um, what can I do? Yeah. And so I came up with this project, um, the Strong Tower Foundation, which 
to talk a little bit more about. Um, yeah. But that's really focused on filling those gaps of, okay, this is what people have said that they need within um, not just speaking to people in the sector, but also in reports that we've read and some of the quotes that have been quite um, quite strong saying things like, oh, um, I felt like I was out of the fire and into the, uh, sorry, out of the frying pan and into the fire um, because there wasn't much support there for me when I left. Support afterwards, um, so just, yeah, exactly. Um, so those kind of really emotive um, pieces and articles that I was reading are what led to the Strong Tower Foundation being formed. That's really fascinating and such an interesting journey. And I think I'm really glad that you mentioned the transferable skills as well, because I think people often overlook the way that we can um, use skills that we've gathered in, in other areas and other fields of work and how useful they can be in this sector. Um, and also really interesting, you mentioned that a lot of your time initially was spent volunteering. How did you manage to juggle that alongside what I presume is full-time work and kind of juggling volunteering. Because again, I think a lot of people want to get involved in this sector, but are a little bit unsure how they're going to cope alongside having to sustain full-time employment on the side or full-time studies or whatever it might be that they're doing. Definitely. Um, I think it is very much about time management. Um, I would, my, my best advice would actually just be just start, Find something that you're interested in. Find something that you um, you find that you're good at, um, yeah. whether that be blogging or, you know, social media, creating um, posts, that kind of thing. If you're good at it, it doesn't feel like a job. Okay, yeah. And so you can actually find ways to fit that into your everyday life where it doesn't feel like it's a stress or a pressure you actually enjoy it and you feel like you're giving something back and actually it, it does open your eyes to a lot of skills that you didn't have as well as a lot of things that are going on around us um, that can educate you so it is a very symbiotic relationship that you gain something as well as giving something back mm. and I guess the advantage is that you're then exposed to people who work in the sector you're speaking to people you're finding out what the issues are and then it kind of puts you at an advantage then when potentially paid positions become available as well yeah yeah, yeah I, I found that as well that um a lot of the voluntary positions that I had the level of responsibility that I ended up being given because of my interest and, and the things yeah. that I were willing I was willing to put out um, when I came to applying for other roles and positions and they asked me an interview, oh, have you done this before? And I said, well, actually, um, I haven't done it in my role, but I've done this, this, this and this for a charity that I work for, which is about human trafficking and modern slavery. And it will take a completely different turn. Um, and these are, mm. you know, big solicitor positions and in law firms. But um, it starts a conversation. And actually one of the, the um, best jobs I had was because they, they loved that and they loved the um yeah the human trafficking work or anti-human trafficking work that I was helping with so yeah. it's not just That's about great. focusing on your career um but actually you you can actually help yourself um in volunteering if you find mm. things that you're passionate about great thank you um 
And it's quite a big step to go ahead and open an organization. Um, and I'm sure that's taken a huge amount of work to get everything started and registered. Um, what were the things that influenced your decision to actually set up an organization as opposed to being involved in the sector in other ways? Um, I think the more I volunteered um, and I heard different things, the more I thought actually, I, 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 you know, kind of know yourself. And I knew that at one point I would want to set up my own organization. But if I'm perfectly honest, I didn't know what that was at the time. Yeah. Um, and for a long time, I kept saying, I want to set up, I want to do something that's quite impactful and big, but I don't know what that looks like. Um, and I always remember my husband said to me, just wait, an opportunity will come and it will click where this is what needs to be done and this mm. is how you can help. Um, and that's actually exactly what happened with the Strong Power Foundation. So um, my husband started working in the, in the property sector um, and I started networking and made, made quite a few contacts um, that at, at this stage are now actually our trustees. Um, and so we pulled together our experiences and I said, do you know, I want to set up this project because the two biggest um, needs that I keep coming across from post NRN victims is housing and mental support. Right. How do we facilitate that? How do we put that together? And between us, we said, okay, well, we can set up this program. Um, and we said, okay, there's a 12 month period that we've read about that actually that, that's the length of time that people require the, um, their support to last. So within the NRM system, you get that period of um, reflective um, time, which is about 45 days. And so um, a lot of organizations have said back to the government, actually, not only is that not enough, but really what we've seen in our statistics is 12 months is what they require in order to fully be able to move on from what they've been through. Um, and so that's what our program focuses on. It's not just accommodation, but it's supported accommodation that focuses on, so we are the Strong Power Foundation. So we call them pillars. Mm -hmm. um, there are five pillars. We've got um, life skills support, so things like cooking, um, being able to shop for yourself, um, even one of the things that we've been, been um, focusing on with, with um, a, a, a partnership of ours is something called, it was, it's financial skills really, but there's a, there's a phrase that kept coming up, which is financial trauma or money trauma, right. which I found really interesting. Yeah. It's basically the concept that you, you don't really know how to manage money, but it's not just because you're not good with money. It's because of things that you've been through that are related to money. So things like poverty or um, abuse where someone's taking your money. And so you come out of that abuse and someone gives you money and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. And it, right, it actually okay. certain things within you. And so yeah. we're actually looking at ways that we can focus on dealing with the trauma that's connected to money. If you um, have no concept of money other than your body, how do you then translate that to you've now got to pay bills mm. or you have um, the rent or you have a salary coming in? How do you then translate that? So um, that's one of the things that we'd be looking at within life skills. And it sounds 
you know, surface level things like cooking and cleaning, but actually if you've never had to do those things, if you've never had the opportunity, that's really something that you benefit from. Mm, or conversely, I guess, if you've if you've been forced to do those things, if you've been in situations of domestic servitude as well, that there's exactly. evidently going to be a trauma connected to having to do those things as well. So again, that's something that has to be kind of relearned or reprogrammed in a way. Yeah. Um, it's really about um, learning how to live independently. So we've got yeah. the life skills, um, self-discovery. So finding out about yourself, what do you like? Do you, do you enjoy sports? Do you enjoy art? Um, we've got a befriender system, um, focusing on education and employment as well. So we partner with other organisations like Sophie Hayes um, or um, Brander Bakehouse, which I know you've spoken to before. Brilliant. Yeah. So doing those kind of things where people learn skills that will allow them to, to really function independently, um, as well as counselling and wellbeing. So being able to, to really process your own emotions. Um, and not, you know, feel weighed down by the things that are going on around us, but being able to uh, regulate your own emotions. And there's one phrase that came out, self-soothe, which I thought was, was quite a nice term. Um, just thinking about, you know, those things that people need in order to live independently. So our aim is that within those 12 months, it, you won't necessarily do each of these five pillars, but if you have a, a certain need or requirement, these are the things that we offer. And we want yep. to help you by the end of those 12 months to really feel like you have the ability to live independently. That's so exciting and so well thought through, I think, based on on what you're hearing are people's challenges and, and, and the things that people have the most difficulty with when they then leave the NRM or kind of forced to leave quite quickly and then you know need this follow-up support afterwards um what sort of capacity do you envisage how many people do you think you'll be able to support at any one time so um that's a good question actually because there are different models for this so what we intend to do is you you can you can ha- sometimes have larger houses um, which are called houses of multiple occupancy hmos um, and they come with a lot of regulations legally um, but also that's more of a safe house Type model. What we intend to do, because we're not a first responder, we want to take people um, who have, you know, come out of the NRM. They've been supported for a little bit of time, but they're not quite ready um, mentally or emotionally or, um, you know, employment-wise to be able to to live independently. So our aim is to have them in a place where it's not quite a safe house, but it's not independent living either so they still have that support where they are not relying on the, the system after they leave our care that's our that's our main goal so what we want to do is actually have um not hmos and not you know four and five bed properties with smaller properties so two beds um across the south london area actually um and that way people get used to that independence of living by themselves that's excellent and so it will be I think I read on the website that it's for people that have recourse so we'll have access to entitlements and then obviously it's going to um, drastically change the the levels of support that you're able to provide yes exactly um, yeah one of the things that we're 
we're still working on with the council, um, but we've actually been, and this is, this is why talking about what you do and, and networking with people is so important, because you find that actually there are people that want to help, but they just don't know how. Um, and so we were talking to a landlord about, um, about the project and he said, I love this. I think this is amazing. I want to help you. I'm going to donate one of my properties. Amazing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's so generous. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, you're welcome. And so I had a call with him earlier, sorting out some of the details for it. But um, it enabled us to actually think about, okay, once they let, once they leave our, our care, what's the exit strategy? And so what we are trying to find a way to do is to help them with that recourse to public funds where we're able to maybe give them something back a little bit so that they can put that towards um, a deposit for a new property that they've been living in. Um, because I think I mentioned to you before that um, the, the exit strategy with, with councils can be very, very tricky. It's a bit of a minefield, for instance. They have to have a letter of eviction um, when they're moving on and things like that. So we're working with the council on, on a way to do that. Um, but yeah, the, the takeaway for that was definitely speak to people because you never know what, you're, um, what you'll be able to, to gain from, from speaking to people and what they'll be able to give you. I mean, Absolutely. we could talk forever on, on our, um, our project and you might even have questions that I will hold up my hands and say, I'm actually not an expert at this, but <laughs> what I did was know my strengths. And so I got somebody who's an expert in property. I got somebody who um, runs a counselling um, charity. And so their background is social work and casework and care. That's not my background, but they, they're mm. an expert in how that runs. And if we've got somebody who's, who's been working for 10 years in the mental health field so they know all the safeguarding and protocols around that and so between us we call ourselves the dream team <laughs> that sounds like you've created the dream team <laughs> we call ourselves the dream team because we know um we know our fields individually very well yeah um, and so when we pull those skills together that enabled us to, to really put together this project um and it's really exciting. That sounds really exciting. You've definitely yeah, um, really sold it well. Um, and when are you ready to start? Or have you already started? Do you have anybody in service yet? Or, or when will you? So that's literally what the conversation with the landlord was. Um, because drumroll, we have um, we have passed them up for our funding. Um, we still need more funding, as, as you do. Um, cost of living. Of course, yeah. But um, in order to start, we have what we need. We are literally about to take on referrals. Um, so we've got the forms ready and we'll be sending those off in the next few, few uh, weeks. That's exciting. So we're currently speaking at the beginning of October 2022. So that's going to be, yeah, quite soon, which is really great. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Very exciting. That's brilliant. And so, um, so you've mentioned what the program's going to be offering and um, the type of support. Um, and I'd also read that it's a volunteer-led 
program. Um, how are you thinking about preparing those volunteers for, the, for these roles and potentially training them and supporting them to be able to carry out this kind of work? Yeah, so that's, that's something that we've spent a lot of time on um, and particularly working with the trustees who have organisations that um, work similarly. Actually, my previous role I was director of um, was also a volunteer-led organisation. Um, and so I'm quite familiar with the safeguarding aspects of things um, and making sure that people are eligible for that and that kind of thing. But it's really thinking about not just the safety of the volunteers, but also the safety of the individuals that they're supporting. Um, and so finding ways that they can meet in mutually assured places. Um, for instance, if you, so say for instance, we had somebody that was um, passionate about yoga and maybe they do some yoga classes and they think, oh, I'd, I'd like to offer that as, as volunteer time. So, okay, one of the, the um, individuals in, the, in our property said, oh, you know, I, I'm interested in getting involved in yoga. Then we would go through those checks and balances. Um, but also we, um, we have partners who are willing to train some of our um, volunteers. So if you are interested in volunteering, um, we're happy to train you and to increase your skills and then you volunteer some of your time. Um, and again, it's just that, that, that um, balance of you giving something but also getting something back, um, more than just yeah. volunteering. Yeah, um, great. So we, we would work with them to, you know, increase their qualifications or um, increase their their knowledge in the area, and then they would work with those volunteers in a park or something. Um, yeah. So that's that's the model that we have. Brilliant. And so this will be, so you said that you're about to start sending out referral forms. So you're going to soon be open um, for intake. Uh, so if people are thinking that they might be working with somebody that might be interested in this program, um, do you have a set of sort of eligibility criteria at the moment that sort of will help you sort of shortlist or determine who can come into the program? Yes. Yeah, so that's all on our referral form. Um, but the eligibility um, at the moment we are focused on women. That's not to say that in the future we won't focus on men. And one of the things we do want to look into is focusing on families, um, which okay. again is a, is a gap within the. It's a the huge gap. Women. That's really interesting. You mentioned that, yeah. Yeah. So that is something that we're looking into um, in the future. If we do go into those larger houses, that it would be for a family. Um, which yeah. Would be amazing to support an entire family that's gone through something. Um, but at the moment, we're starting with um, female victims that have come through the NR NRM system. Um, they have positive conclusive grounds and we call the public funds that we're able to, to help them with um, and help them manage those things. Um, and I think those are, the main, those are the main criteria that we have at the moment. We're not taking high risk as well. That's one okay. thing I would say, because we are um, a sort of middle ground of wanting to help someone move on independently. So if you are somebody that needs a lot of a lot of support and you have a lot of um, mental health requirements, then probably we're not the first place you should go. There is other organizations available. Um, but no, if, there, there are a lot of people that, that tick the boxes for what we offer. So um, one of the things the trustees have said, when I said, okay, what if we sign the lease and then we have to look for people? Don't worry about that. 
<laughs> it's not about looking, yeah. That's why we set up this program. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know a lot of people are going to be really excited to hear about this program because everybody is is sort of tearing their hair out trying to think of ways to continue to support people who clearly need it, but just have no other support otherwise. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of people, I'm sure, knocking on the door for this for this support. Um, And do you have a sort of target number of people that you're hoping to be able to support? Or uh, do you have plans to you know expand what's what's your thoughts around that yeah so um at the moment we're looking at two individuals because we really want to focus on the quality not the quantity absolutely um, as well yeah. as making sure that we have that proof of concept so that when we are ready to expand next year that we um we're clearing the steps and the, the feedback that people have given us and so we can understand okay this is what our volunteers need this is what our partners need, and this is what the um, survivors need. I'm not going to call them victims, they are 100% going to be survivors. And so we want to understand um, and really make sure that we have that quality in place. Um, and then our aim, um, we actually have a sort of five-year projection of, um, of how many um, projects across South London we want to open, but we do want to open um, a few across the area so that we can um, we can as I say within that model focus on individual support and not just the collective but to really focus on what does this person need that's very different from what that person needs every individual's journey and needs are different so it's really about focusing on the individuals and taking our time in expanding across that London. That's great. And that's really refreshing to hear as well, because I guess these sorts of programs are often, you know, very formulaic of, you know, this is what we're offering. But, you know, to hear that it's going to be really tailored to individual needs and then sort of wrapped around what that person needs. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. One of the things that is missing in a lot of organisations that I was giving feedback on. So even even from survivors themselves, that they felt like, was a little bit more that they they would have liked to experience and so um hoping to tick some of those boxes yeah brilliant and are you happy for people to move into the area without having familiarity with the area or are you looking for people that are kind of already based around south london and so therefore already familiar with the localities that's a good question there is no preference on that whatsoever okay it could be somebody that's in scotland it could be even somebody that's um, not not from the UK um, originally. We have no preference in terms of where they're from. Um, but that's one of the ideas of the Defender as well, that they get them used to the area. So, you right. know, this is your local yeah. park. This is your local shopping, shopping centre. Um, this is your supermarket, you know. Um, just understanding the area and so that they can feel a little bit more settled. Um, I'm really finding somewhere that feels like home. Excellent. Yeah, that sounds really, really great. Um, and so in addition to the this program, which, you know, sounds really extensive and really well thought through, what are the other things that Strong Tower, the Strong Tower Foundation has been set up to do? I saw on your website there's um, awareness raising and um, the offers of, of t- speakers and talks. So could you elaborate a little bit more on what the rest of the organisation is aiming to do? Yeah, definitely. So actually, it's a uh, good time that you mentioned that because we are planning some things with um, 
anti-slavery um coming up in, in October the 18th oh, of course um, yeah. so we have a few yeah we have a few university tours that we're trying to arrange um and that's really focused on educating um young people not just to get volunteers but also with things like grooming and social media um being quite prevalent at the moment it's really educating people on okay what's actually going on around you and to be quite aware um and then obviously in turn one of our values is actually collaboration and so if they want to collaborate with us for instance if, um you know there's somebody that's into photography and they say oh i'd like to help but i don't know how um well you know come and take some photographs with us we'll create some artwork that, that's aimed at um helping self-aware um, not self-awareness sorry um awareness raising rather for um for the sector so it's again it goes back to using those skills and finding people that have skills that maybe don't know how to get involved as well um and then there's a church tour that we're going on to for some of your um listeners you may have picked up from the name of the organization the strong power foundation um that it is based on a scripture a couple of scriptures actually um which really talk about being a safe place and a refuge and just a tranquil sort of um protective place where you're not um you're not feeling persecuted but you know it's sort of like a sanctuary type of um type of name and so um it kind of had a two part actually because there was um the psalms and the poems that talk about strong towers as a place of refuge but then um foundation people sometimes think of uh a foundation as in a charity but foundation we're trying to build a strong foundation i <laughs> see as a base right yeah that makes yeah, sense that's the five pillars that we have um and so that's the basis of the name so we're doing a church tour as well um and that's really to help raise awareness but also um to help raise funds and to gain some um some traction in our volunteerism because as we said this is a volunteer led organization so if there are counselors um within those churches or within that community that want to get involved you know you have a lot of counselors um trained counselors within the religious communities so um that's a that's a great way for people to get involved um and so we're doing those two tours um but also we're open to as i said i this is how i started out kind of my bread and butter doing talks um doing events and that kind of thing so always open to invitations from people that want to to understand more about what's going on and how they can get involved Excellent. And you had mentioned, I, I think I saw it either on the information pack or the website that um, you are like the organization was set up through these sort of religious values, but it's not a religious organization or, or the religion isn't going to be carried um, into the work directly. Is that right? So it's, it's not going to impact yeah. um, intake or, or the, the people that can access the service. Exactly. So um just to explain that a little bit further, one of our values um, that you probably read was um, agape love. And that's the kind of love that we talk about God giving to mankind in that irrespective of your colour, your religion, your background, your nationality, your gender, indiscriminately, that love is given freely. 
And so that's a value that we hold in the same way that irrespective of what that person's background is, their beliefs, their experiences, we take them as they are and we aim to support them and we aim to give them as much compassion and care that we are able to give to help them to move on from what they've been through. So it's not, um, it's not just uh, an organisation for people that um, are necessarily affiliated with our faith, but as long as you have that, um, that passion and that, that understanding as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really clear. Thanks for um, elaborating on that. Um, so I think that's about all we have time for, unfortunately, Rachel. I could speak to you for so much longer, though, because there is so much more to understand. But it's really exciting that you're at this point now where you're about to launch and that you've got this accommodation and, and yeah, you're about to get started. So it'd be really nice to check in in the future to see how things are going and even, yeah, more progress and more things that you're learning. Um, if anyone would like to find out more or to get in touch with you, what should they do? probably the best way to reach out is via our email address which is info at the strong tower foundation.org yep um and just reach out and you know i'm so and so and i um i would love to get involved and is there any um, opportunity for me i mean we, we're constantly interviewing um volunteers through various platforms and people come to us all the time um, I've got one next week for um, an individual who's um, wanting to get involved with some of our media stuff. So it's it's a wide range of skills that we're looking for and it's a wide range of opportunities that are available. Excellent. And I'll make sure that we include that email address in the show notes as well so that people can see that afterwards. Also, yes. <laughs> yes, please. So Go ahead. Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, okay. And those are all the Strong Tower Foundation. So if you type in our full name, we'll come up. Excellent. And again, we'll make sure those links are in the show notes too, so people can just click on them easily and find you. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Rachel. It's been such a great conversation. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank, Thank you, you also Thank you to those. Yeah, no, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you also to those that are watching or listening. And until the next episode, bye for now. You've been listening to Actions, Responses to Trafficking podcast. Music used in this episode is Inspiration, written by Rayful Crux and sourced from freepd.com. Actions is produced and presented by Catherine Baldacchino.